Israel Wayne, your host. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as we take a look at faith, family, and culture, all through the lenses of a biblical worldview. This program is a production of the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network. On this episode of the Family Renewal Podcast, we're going to be discussing teaching multiple children at once. Now, our family is a homeschooling family, as are many of our listeners, and we want to talk about what you do if you have a large family. Of course, that's somewhat of a subjective term, but meaning uh, several children of different ages that you're trying to homeschool all at once. And we want to discuss what that looks like and how you can do that efficiently and effectively. I know for some people they say that uh, this is a big obstacle or hindrance for them in terms of homeschooling and it shies some people away from homeschooling because they think well I might be able to teach one child at a time but I don't know that I can homeschool effectively multiple children on different grade levels. So I brought my wife Brooke into the studio today to talk about this because she's a little bit more proficient at knowing how to deal with this than I am on the mm-hmm. practical level. And so, uh, Brooke, what are some of your thoughts on this? Well, when we started out homeschooling, I had very much of the mindset that my mother had as she taught my brother and I when I was growing up. I was homeschooled from the age of five on, and we loved it. And the way my mom taught was very relational. We'd sit on the couch, and we'd read a book together, and we'd talk about it. And because my brother and I were only two years apart, we were very much um, able to stay on the same page on many academic levels, especially as far as certain subjects. And I loved that. I loved my mom teaching from the whiteboard and being very hands-on, lesson by lesson. However, when I came to having um, teaching our first child age four and five, we already had three, four, five, six children at those times. And I began to feel, how can I bring that same dynamic with a relational level that I loved growing up into our home with a few more children. And so as I've wrestled through that and grown, and now I have six students um, in ages uh, five on through freshman in high school, and I've, I've learned some things, I've paid attention to what other families are doing and learned the hard way. And uh, so I wanted to share with those things with you. I've had the privilege of being on the road with Israel over the last several weeks, and we've been able to go to several homeschool conventions where I've actually been able to share this message, teaching several grades at once. And it's been exciting to see um, the different responses and to be able to have conversations with moms who are who are also juggling this. And some of them feel like me where I'm not just juggling the grades, I'm also running a mini circus on the side with my toddler and baby. So welcome and let's get started. First, I want to talk about the aspect that you're going to face the thoughts or even the challenge from others coming at you that, hey, if you've got all these children, you're not going to be able to teach them all. That's too many grades to cover at once. And you may feel either yourself, within yourself, or just from accusations coming at you. How am I supposed to be the expert on so many levels? And I just want to encourage you, you know what, moms and dads, you are the experts of your child. You may not know every subject better than somebody else. Somebody else may be to academically teach your child something better than you can. However, nobody cares for your child like you do. 
you want to see them growing and um, and using those things that they're learning in a lifetime. So you have like a, a trajectory that you're looking at that's not just for this grade level, not just for this short season in their life, but for their lifetime. No one cares about your child's moral health, their character training, their academic progress, or their spiritual maturity as much as you, the parents. So don't be fooled by the thought that if you can't do it perfectly, you had just a best give up and let some expert do it. The experts fail at many things as well. And no one else will love your child like you do. No one else will be uniquely gifted to invest in the whole measure of your child. All right, so let's look at some of the practical questions related to this. Um, when you are in the process of homeschooling multiple age children, I'm assuming that one of the biggest problems that comes in is the question of the little ones. What do you do with the preschool-aged children, um, whether they are in that toddler stage or the infant stage? They're the ones that are sort of full-time maintenance. Uh, what do you do with them while you're doing academics with the older children? Uh, that's a good question. I am so much still learning this. What I have found is that keeping those little ones occupied, some kind of direction, helps tremendously. And and the child has a very short attention span in that, you know, let's say, let's just pick about a year on to maybe about four years old. They're a very short attention span. And you may even have to, as you're increasing that attention span, start at 15 minutes with one project and go up to 30 minutes. I have my little child's day slotted out, especially through our school day, of what they're supposed to be doing at any given time. And I keep it to 30 minutes. That way, there's something changing the pace, and yet it's just long enough that they are required to focus on one thing. Because really, these are my future students. These are the ones I'm training already to learn how to focus and to, and to stick with something for a certain amount of time. And yet they know it'll eventually come to pass. So I keep special things for that time. Um, you know, our children love Legos. And so I have a special half-hour slot that's for Legos. And then there's a need to clean up, of course. And then they can do something else. I like to start the day out with everybody at the table. And even the little guys who can hold a crayon and paper can then just draw at the table, table with everybody and be able to kind of have that sense of, wow, I'm a big kid. I'm at the table with the whole family. And I think that gives them that sense of I'm doing something important. So again, just finding things. And then sometimes it's hard to come up with that many things. But even just rotating it to once, you know, once in that slot, you're going to be reading aloud to another child. Have them join in. They're hearing language at that point. Or playing on the floor while you read aloud to the other children. Um, being able to take nature walks with the family. Anything you can involve them in, do, and then otherwise have them have a special place on the floor where they can quietly play and you're not having them out of your sight. If they're upstairs in a bedroom, they're more likely destroying anything, something. Yeah, exactly. So what do you do then uh, when you're teaching different subjects? Like, is there a way to integrate these subjects so that you teach math to all the children all at the same time? or history all at the same time? Is there a way to sort of do group classes with children of different ages and different uh, learning levels? Yes, I just love the concept of family, what I call family integrated studies. I mean, it's just getting the whole family on board. And it gets to a point with some of my older ones that I can't do that 
too often anymore, but I'm still, um, I still keep five in a class, so to speak, and I'm seeking to work with them, especially science and history, because those two are very easy to include everybody. That doesn't mean everybody's on the same level, of course. So my, my older children in that class may be given more difficult assignments, longer writing assignments, or more questions to answer, more research to do on any given topic. That way, let's say if you're just, you're just um, working on studying about animals or biology, you're able to involve the little guys on a level that they can assimilate. They're looking at little picture books, and then the next level up might be uh, reading a little bit of a text involved with that, answering some basic questions. The older ones might need to do projects, and like I said, more um, longer writing assignments or oral assignments that they need to give reports for, and that way everybody stays on the same page. So even with the older ones that I'm not as able to include in that class because of the age of my children, I still like to keep them on the same page as far as what we're just studying. That way, if they have some sort of report that they can give to the family a presentation, it's a little bit more um, of interest because the little guys are studying it even though on a much more basic level. Math is one of those ones that it seems to be very pinpointed for specific ages and abilities. So that's a little bit harder to do. I do still do things like flashcards or um, skip counting, um, multiplication tables. Those types of things can be done somewhat on a, a class basis of giving everybody that same assignment at once. Even so, I still like to have everybody at the table doing math together at the same time. And this, at least we're on the same page. From, with that, I use you know more of a one-on-one approach, and I just need to have everybody knowing what their assignments are, and I can go from child to child helping whoever has um, a question at the moment. So what do you mean when you use the term skip counting? What is skip counting? Oh, skip counting is just preparation for multiplication. So they're learning to count by threes, three, nine, or sorry, there I am going, three, six, nine, twelve. That, that type of thing, and that's just a great preparation. I use it extensively, and it's uh, definitely helped multiplication. So what uh, age level do you usually start doing that type of thing with the children? Um, second grade. Okay. So um, what about um, babysitting techniques? Like, do you ever utilize video games or television or things like that that are kind of the path of least resistance in terms of keeping the attention of some of the children while you're trying to work with the other ones? I probably don't utilize this as much as maybe I could. Um, there are so many educational games that um, that would really be a beneficial thing to incorporate. We've done typer, uh, typing types of uh, teaching lessons and some math games on the computer. And those have been very beneficial just to break up the day sometimes, especially if a child's a little bit stuck on the subject. That can help, especially like, let's say, with a math or a spelling game, being able to incorporate something that helps them do the same subject in a different way and kind of get them over their hump, being able to give them a little more practice. And then as far as educational videos, we do a lot from our library and then just from our own um, resources that we have being able to usually late afternoon when I need to be doing something else, but sometimes even during, you know, our, our later in our school day, being able to put on an educational video, especially 
for some of the younger ones when I need to de devote some one-on-one um, -on -one time for my older children. Now, on the one-on-one -on -one time, I want to just say, sometimes I think it can be helpful at like once a year, maybe right before you start your school year, or maybe even once a month, to be able to have an interview with your child, each individual child, so that you can ask them questions that otherwise might get slipped. And by that, I mean, ask them, like, what, what are some of your most difficult things as far as schoolwork? So that way you're alerted to what is it that they see as their most difficult subject. It might surprise you. It may not be what you think. And that helps, you know, this is where they may need special attention. Also, if you can just ask things that help bring out their individuality. What's your favorite dinner? What's your favorite color? And be able to cater to those as much as you can. Or what's something you would like to study? Not always, but, you know, a lot of times we can start incorporating those into their daily routines and just involving that, uh, bring that individuality into the larger family culture. So are you using traditional textbooks or workbooks or unit studies or um, literature-based learning with using real books or what is your approach? <laughs> yes, I use everything and all. I, I just find certain things that I like. For my math, I use Making Math Meaningful from Cornerstone Curriculum, and I, I've come to become very familiar with that, so I can just lead each child um, progressively through their own studies with that. But for our science, we've used um, a lot of Answers in Genesis and Master Books curriculum, and that has been super as far as having uh, more, more of the different grade levels that I can just take off the shelf subjects, uh, you know, books by subject to incorporate in a study. Again, like I said, you know, biology, you can find just the books I need on that topic and, and use them in my studies one by one. What about family read-alouds? Do you ever do family read-alouds? Yes, and I love family read-alouds. I really think it's so beneficial and we're missing that so much in our culture. I feel like the youngest ones... But even our older ones, who we tend to miss, you know, we just go, oh, they can read on their own, they're fine, we need to just let them read. But really, all these children are learning about language, how it's spoken, and even being able to understand tone and um, cadence, to understand how punctuation is used verbally, can be so beneficial for our children. And we, we tend to gloss over that way too much. Um, as further, though, as far as bonding the family, I feel like reading aloud is so important because everybody's hearing and sorting through and working through a common theme. And just take, for instance, a story. When you read aloud a story, you're getting that, um, that bonding experience, that story that we all can identify with. And sometimes that can provide just a fun joke or a family inside joke that everybody is familiar with. Uh, just as far as dealing with something a little bit more difficult, you know, if you come across books that you want to read, I sometimes want to read all these um, wonderful books about autobiographies and uh, books about prayer and so forth. And while those are more tedious for the children, if it's kept short enough, I feel like it's still progressing them and helping them stretch their minds. And hopefully they'll gain something from that too, especially if there's conversations that follow that. And the conversations... I just encourage families, really, make sure you have those conversations after you read together because that gives them that chance to feed back and to sort through what might be going on in their thoughts, but also it helps them pay attention. 
So then when you're working with your children, what do you do if you've got, say, one child that's very reluctant and is really not interested in learning at the same pace as everybody else? So you've got multiple children, let's say most of them, they do their studies fairly readily. Uh, but what do you do if you've got somebody who is hard to motivate? And, and let's break that into two categories. Maybe they're more difficult to teach because they have some sort of learning disability or there's actually some sort of a hindrance to them learning, uh, whether it's a dyslexia issue or an auditory processing disorder or you know, autism or something like that. Um, let's say that you have a child who has those types of struggles um, but then let's also address the issue of what happens if you just have a child that just isn't motivated. They just aren't interested. They don't want to learn. They're reluctant. Uh, they have that, I don't understand why I have to study this. Um, can you talk to both of those issues about the child who has some educational difficulties as well as the child who just simply lacks motivation? Well, for the child who has a special learning disability, uh, they're going to just need a lot more one-on-one -on -one time. And that's really hard to pull off when you've got multiple grades. And yet, I think moms are are dedicated to their children. They want to see them thrive and do well. And I don't know how they do it, but they just make time. I've talked to so many moms, and and I don't know how they even juggle it, but they make time somehow to fit in that time with one-on-one -on -one time with their special child who um, who may have a little bit more difficult time keeping pace. So keeping that one-on-one -on -one time as a priority needs to happen. And probably what needs to happen then in those seasons is finding out more individual assignments for the other children and being able to get them a little bit more um, on an accountability basis as much as possible. If you have a child that will, and I know so many of uh, the special needs children don't really look to their brothers and sisters like, yeah, I want to learn and, and do what my brother or sister says. They often are a little more defiant and need some special mom time for their teaching time. But if you have a child that will uh, do some simple projects with an older child, that would be a really good benefit so that, especially if it's something like flashcards or uh, simply reading aloud or something, that an older child can help draw that younger one on. Um, special needs child along, that can be so beneficial. So they are just going to take a little bit more time. Motivating them is a challenge. And a lot of times it has to be very short term, even treat type based. They don't often tend to be able to see ahead and go, oh, wow, I see how I really need to learn math so I can become an accountant or I can hold this job or I need to learn how to write well so that I can communicate and run a website when I'm older. You know, they, they don't have that long-term vision very much. They, they and, and all young children basically don't, but they, they sometimes can really do well with simple rewards with a very clear-cut base. A lot of times these youngsters don't do well just hearing what is spoken to them. As far as their assignments, they do better if they can see it. And so a checklist can make a huge difference in, in their lives. And interestingly, going over and over basics is so important for these particular youngsters because they're still struggling with retaining these facts that you feel like, well, I taught my other children in three easy lessons and they got it, but this child's requiring 30 lessons and more. And so keeping yourself um, patient with that particular child and being able to say, you know, it's okay, we're going over this again. And any way that you can find to keep it fresh for that child can be so beneficial too. On just keeping 
your children in general motivated? This is an interesting issue. Okay, so I want to throw something in your hopper because I'm still thinking about this. I wonder sometimes if we tend to throw too many subjects at our children without explaining to them why. Why do we want them to study this? And, you know, a lot of times we're just, we've seen it all. We're assuming they understand it as well. But I wonder if we were to throw our children books here and there, especially our older children. You know, I'm talking about maybe over sixth grade or something. Throw them books like Mathematics is God's Silent by James Nichol. Or Catherine Loop wrote a book about uh, biblical principles behind mathematics and said, here, I want you to read this. I wonder if it wouldn't help a little bit with the motivation of them being able to see why they are studying these subjects. Another idea I have is what if you were to have um, some kind of group meeting with your support group and get the parents involved, especially the dads for your sons, and being able to have them just dialogue about these are the things I use in my workplace. This is essential for my career. What I learned about, you know, writing, math, science, whatever type of group, uh, if they can talk about those things and help inspire for your children, oh, these things I'm learning now have bearing and consequence for later in my life. I think that could go a long ways. As far as practically speaking, as far as motivating a slacker, because of the way our family is set up with having several children, I really can't just allow one child to, to just sit there for three hours doing their math. It just, um, I find that their brain, <laughs> brain energy goes way down. You know, so if it's like they're dawdling on a subject, I don't require them to sit there and do it. I have to keep everybody moving along for the rest of the family's sake. However, that slacker then has to make up their time later at free time. And so if this cuts into their life enough and, and makes them, um, you know, uncomfortable enough, they eventually get on board. Well, this is certainly a big topic, you know, talking about how to keep a, a family running when you have many children and you have uh, schoolwork. How do you schedule your day in such a way that you also are moving forward the necessary household duties as well? Uh, because, you know, that certainly is a balance. And uh, in one sense, you could just have them do studies all day and never do any uh, housework. Or you could just have them do housework all day long and never focus on studies. But what's a good balance there? How do you orchestrate your day in such a way that you try to maximize your time and, and get both get all the important things done? Sure, that that's a good question. And it's it's very difficult because there really are twenty four hours worth of good academic studies we could do with our children. And besides that, there's music lessons and soccer practice and ballet and all these other things besides going to the nursing home and trying to minister to other people outside of our homes or aunts and uncles that visit or, you know, different family emergencies that come up. And so finding a balance can be really difficult. Um, I have come to a place where I feel like if we cover certain basics every day, we will keep making progress. And part of this came out of a time in my life where I was trying to help my children swallow whole huge meals full of um, academic lessons and they weren't getting it. And I was pulling my hair out and I finally realized 
I need not to despise the little things. It's a little bit of progress every day. It's that line upon line, precept upon precept, that helps them progress and helps them grow. And so while I try to include, um, you know, quite a bit of academics in our day for our older ones, about five or six hours for our younger ones, it's more towards three and four hours a day, I do keep a limit to it because I know that there's a lot of other life to be lived. Uh, in addition to nature studies and going out and tromping through the woods and catching frogs, there's baking and cooking to learn, or there's um, crafts and sewing types of skills I want my children to learn. And then, of course, there's the normal organization. Having some kind of schedule is so helpful for to me. I know that the word schedule is an awfully scary word. And what I think of when I hear the word schedule is like these super moms who can wake up at 5.30. And that's just not me. I love the verse that says, it is vain for you to wake up early in the morning from Proverbs. I think that's wonderful. I'm more like, I'll wake up reasonable, but not 5.30 in the morning. And I imagine some of you are like that too. So I, I kind of feel like instead of the word schedule, I like to use, at least in my thinking, I like to use the word rhythms. And we have a rhythm to our day. About 8 o'clock, we're making sure we're getting everybody rolling and we have our Bible time first thing. I don't even start my day till 10 o'clock, my school day, till 10 o'clock because we're having our Bible time, our cleanup time from breakfast, etc. So we go in at 10 o'clock and we have, you know, a good long while yet of our academics ahead of us. And yet we're, um, we're making sure that that in itself does have a cutoff. And I limit my children's chore time as well. They can't take forever on their chores. They just have four basic chores a day each. They get it done. It's a benefit to us because it takes a whole family to make the whole family function. I need every one of them pitching in. And they know how essential they are to our family. They know that they're needed. Um, one thing I'm working on is helping a child or two uh, take over the breakfast and lunch. And I'm trying to really simplify this so that it's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or it's, you know, just cheese crisps or bean burritos or something very basic so that I'm not devoting my valuable academic time to making some fabulous lunch and breakfast for that matter. So I'm getting them to help and it just takes them a good little half hour or something, but it's not, it's not too much time um, for them to take versus for me to stop everybody's progress. Uh, it just takes everybody a lot more time. So then what about other group type projects? Do you incorporate them ever into um, other type of collective um, group projects like cooking or, you know, other educa other educational types of um, approaches other than traditional book learning? Do you ever do group uh, teaching where you get them all together and you get them involved in some kind of a hands-on project or something like that, e even if it's not all eight of your children, you know, do you do things with the girls together or, you know, do have the boys do things together, that kind of thing? Yes, and I, I do enjoy that a great deal. The girls, it's easier for me because I can pass on some things like sewing and so forth. I think it's important for boys to learn how to cook. It's a survival skill, I believe. And so I'm I do so enjoy just... I'm not about that myself. But. Oh, yeah, well... <laughs> But I think it's essential at least to know a couple basic recipes, how to make scrambled eggs. I'm only saying that because I don't know how to cook. But um, <laughs> but I do appreciate the fact that our boys know how to cook. I think it definitely improves our quality of life, especially in those times when Brooke leaves. If she's gone somewhere, 
uh, for a couple of days, and it's just the kids and I here. Uh, it's nice to know that we won't all starve to death. We can yes. at least live on uh, hot dogs and oatmeal. <laughs> so uh, I do like getting everybody together, do a big, you know, once a week cooking kind of thing. I I feel like that's beneficial. Our children love going outside, and so, um, you know, it's, it's getting to be warmer weather outside. We're just enjoying taking long trips outside. And I try to make that a little bit more educational because it's something they're interested in. So sneaking in, hey, why don't you write about this? Or or even just give me an oral, um, give me a little speech about what you enjoyed most about this. And for the younger guys, it doesn't have to be all that technical. It can just be, you know, what did you think about going outside today? What was your favorite part? And that just helps keep their little brains aware and observant to the life around them. Um, organization, again, and sometimes big cleaning projects. I love getting everybody involved because I know where they all are. And then they're all doing something directed, and that helps so much. Some things that we do as far as getting an older child to be um, a little bit of a teacher to a younger child have proven really helpful for us. So I want to present some pros, but I also want to present some cons about that. Let me first talk about the pros. Um, one of the things that my daughter just had a, a short lesson in was HTML, which is some fancy scribbled writing for computers on the internet or something like that. Websites. I'm not even sure I understand it. She loves this stuff. And watching her enthusiasm was really fun. The other kids were a little nervous about starting. They didn't know how to really get in, into it. So she started teaching them. And it was really fun to see her enthusiasm passed on to the, um, the three other children that she taught. And they began, became very excited about it too. And so I was kind of observing this. And I was reminded that a teacher, uh, when, when someone teaches something, they themselves learn so much. And I, I mentioned that to my daughter as she was in the midst of this teaching time. And I said, you know, it's interesting watching how you're learning as you teach them. And she said, yeah, I mean, sometimes they ask questions and I never understood it that way or I never thought about it that way. And so it really is helping me learn it better, too. So those are some good, con, or some good pros about having an older child teach a younger child. I think it can be really beneficial for something you've already laid the groundwork for as the mom to be able to say, okay, um, you know, junior here needs to read aloud to somebody. He's six years old. He's got the basics down, but he really needs someone to kind of look over his shoulder and make sure he's getting the words right or not missing words. That's great. Or phonics, you know, flip through the flashcards and go through it or even math um, flashcards. It, an older child can take that, whatever it's going to be, five to 15 minutes and save you that time. And I think that can be super beneficial. There might even be times when you've got a new baby or a short-term illness where you might incorporate that and utilize those older children and what you've invested in them and having them pass it on to the younger siblings. However, I want to draw a big um, caution on this topic and say if you employ, so to speak, an uh, older child to teach one of your younger children, it needs to be for the benefit of both. So if your young teacher is just as benefited from that experience as your, your younger student, um, that can be a really good thing. 
But if it's becoming a drain, that's becoming a problem. You as the parent need to be the parent and you need to take responsibility. You have to know where each child is as far as their academic um, progress. And so if you're handing over too much of that responsibility, you are not keeping pace properly with where that child is at, your younger child. Also, I think that's just a lot of responsibility to put on a older child. You know, they're still a child, they're still learning. Uh, that might change as soon as they're out of high school. And if that's something that they want to be able to help serve you with, that might be a different story. But I'm talking about someone who's still in high school or younger themselves. So make sure that you balance anything like that in an appropriate measure. So then uh, closing up here, what would be something you would say to a homeschooling parent who feels as though this multiple age approach to homeschooling is too much, that they're drowning in it, or they're intimidated away from homeschooling because it just feels like that would be too overwhelming uh, for them to try to take that on? What uh, what type of encouragement would you give to them? I would encourage you. It It is a challenge for sure, and it's difficult at times. There are days that are plain old difficult, and yet the joy of seeing my children learn and catch the vision that this isn't just about learning the three R's. This is about passing on a lifestyle. And this is about passing on what we believe that's important about God and about life, about family and marriage and relationships. This is the beauty of it. And I feel like you care about your child so much that you're going to make sure that they that they do well. You're going to make sure that they have the best learning opportunities It might take time to get there, but that's the beauty of having those 18 years of raising a child is that you have time. It's it's not this sprint to cram it all in in one year. In one year, you might even not get every book done that you wanted to get done, and yet you'll find some things sped ahead because the child was interested, because they got it. And some of this is just learning how to flow with our children as far as them getting um, them growing and blossoming and developing and so finding that balance takes time like I said in earlier in this um, session I've come to a point where I see the value of those little things and so even when I feel like oh wow we didn't we didn't get all these things done and we didn't get these lessons done and we didn't get so far in this I know that tomorrow we can keep the pace up if I don't do anything about it then they, they, you know, you're not investing in that much. You're not getting, you're not moving forward a little bit. And sometimes it's those little bits that add up to make a whole grade level, you know, achieved and so forth. Well, we would like to encourage you to do several things. We want to encourage you to visit our website, familyrenewal.org. On there, you can sign up on our mailing list. If you go to familyrenewal.org forward slash subscribe, You can sign up on our email list. We send out one email a month. And also, if we are in your area with a seminar, we can send you an email, let you know that we're going to be there. And most of our events that we do are totally free for the whole family. So we encourage you to sign up on our mailing list. Also, you can join our Facebook page, and uh, that is at facebook.com forward slash family renewal. And uh, we also have a number of resources that you can purchase on our website, some audio downloads that are available, teaching on different topics, as well as my book, Full-Time Parenting, 
a guide to family-based discipleship. Brooke and I are working on a book together that we hope to uh, release in 2016, which will be on the topic of parenting. It's a little more specific than that, but we'll be giving more information about that at a later podcast. And uh, we're just grateful for your support of our ministry, uh, Family Renewal. And Brooke, did you have any uh, final closing thoughts? Well, I know this is um, a big issue, and, and this is part of my life. You know, this is the itty-bitty, gritty aspects of my daily life that I'm sharing. And I I look to um, you, my listeners, and I'm thankful for you listening, but I'm also praying over each one of you that as you go through this struggle of juggling this massive responsibility, you know, you will look to God because he wants to fill in our weak spots and he wants to give us grace where we need it. All right. Well, thank you so much. God bless you. And we hope that you will join us next time here on the Ultimate Homeschool Radio Network for our Family Renewal Podcast. Thank you and God bless. Bye-bye.